Let us pray together the prayer for illumination printed in the bulletin. God of grace, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be made new. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and is on page 1 of the New Testament Pew Bible. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so has it been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Thanks be to God. Okay, I have one epiphany joke, and I always have to share it on Epiphany Sunday. Here it goes. What would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men to visit the baby Jesus? They would have asked directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought practical gifts. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are the one who we follow. 
that your star is the one that keeps leading us, beckoning us, drawing us to yourself. May we hear your word today in the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. It was Inauguration Day 2017, and Mr. and Mrs. Trump were moving into their new home at the White House, and Mr. and Mrs. Obama were moving out. And it's been six years, but I'm still wondering about the contents of that Tiffany blue gift box that First Lady Michelle Obama gave to the First Lady Melania Trump when she greeted her. I couldn't take my eyes off the Tiffany blue gift as it was awkwardly received and awkwardly handed to a bystander. And it wasn't the offering of the gift that was odd or awkward because gift exchanges between political leaders is common practice. But I was genuinely fascinated by what the gift was that the outgoing president and his wife chose for the incoming president. What gift could have symbolized and conveyed what the Obamas felt in that historic moment and for the nation's future? A gift is infused with power. Historians say that ancient African and Aztecan leaders employed the strategy of ritualized gift-giving to ensure their social identities, to recruit allies, to curry political favors, or to ensure the loyalty of their subordinates. Ancient political leaders gave gifts of art, spices, special foods like chocolate and alcohol, some things do not change. And last month, there was an Instagram photo of a wonderful Japanese-American artist, Meiko Fujimura, capturing his private meeting with the Pope, with Pope Francis. And in the picture, the artist held gifts he'd received from the Pope And then to Pope Francis, the artist gave a piece of his own artwork and a Bible that he had illustrated. And I thought to myself, when one gets a private audience with the Pope, how does one decide what gift to bring? I cannot decide what to give my children. Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages, identifies gift-giving as one of them. And I think we can all probably name a friend or a family member or a co-worker who has this gift, this love language of gift-giving. I have a dear college friend who is uber-generous and she gives exactly what, um, what is matched with, uniquely matched with the recipient. She just seems to know. She has sent me countless gifts over the years, and they're always ones I adore and cherish. Now, we've entered the church season of Epiphany, and Epiphany in the Orthodox Church 
Yesterday was celebrated and gifts were shared. And as Miss Sandy said, um, the epiphany season begins with the story of the Magi. Now, the Magi are also referred to as the three kings or the three wise men. But most likely, they were astrologers, that they were stargazers. And creches and Christmas pageants uh, commonly insert the Magi into the manger scene along with Jesus and Mary and Joseph and shepherds and their flocks and angels. But in Matthew's gospel, the story begins after rumors had circulated as far as Persia about the birth of a newborn king. And the astrologers from the east watched the stars for the signs and then traveled west to Jerusalem to discover for themselves whether the rumors were true. And we might ask, for what purpose did Matthew, did the gospel writer, include the visit from the foreigners? And then his version has them bringing gifts for royalty. But Jesus was born to parents with no financial means, no status, no power, a very humble family from a backwater town. So why then do the Magi travel so far to bring gifts intended for a king? And the gifts gifts were, say it with me, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi are not Jewish, But in Jerusalem, they meet with King Herod, a man of Jewish lineage who was put into power over the region of Galilee by the Roman Empire. And this puppet king, Herod, is the same insecure tyrant who later, um, or who had beheaded John the Baptist after John reproved the king for his shenanigans with his sister-in-law, Salome. And this Herod is the same insecure tyrant who in the next chapter of Matthew calls for the slaughter of all male children under two. And this Herod had his own wife assassinated. There's always been, and I suspect always will be, insecure, paranoid Herod types in power. They're easily threatened by anyone who poses a challenge to their authority. When the Magi reveal their plan to find the baby to worship the king of the Jews, Herod hides his contempt. But he himself felt the presence of a new ruler. He felt the tremors of tectonic plates of power shifting. He felt his authority being quietly challenged. And unchecked fear begets violence. So pretending to be on board with the miraculous epiphany of a powerful presence in the world, Herod disingenuously encourages the stargazers to find the baby and return to me and tell me where the baby is so that I too can pay homage to the child. Well, Herod has no intention of kneeling his will to anyone. 
So throughout his gospel, Matthew asks and seeks to answer the questions, who is this Jesus born as a vulnerable child in Bethlehem? Who is this baby who upends the powerful? Who is the baby who brings his mother Mary deep joy, but also causes profound sadness about her her child's future? And throughout the gospel, Matthew reveals who this baby is. He testifies about Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan and the voice from heaven speaking aloud, He is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And again on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew shows us that Jesus is revealed and affirmed yet again by a voice from heaven that says, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. And Matthew also asks throughout his gospel, who is the person who recognizes God's beloved son as a gift to the world? And Matthew shows over and over again, it is the outsider, the foreigners from the east, those outside the religious community, the ones who see a star with fresh insight those who recognize Jesus as God's gift to the world. It wasn't the religious leaders, the priests, the scribes who sought out the newborn king. It was the magi, the foreigners who first bowed their hearts and laid down their gifts in worship of the Christ child. And so today... We celebrate another form, another way of gift giving. Today is the church's annual practice of ordaining and installing elders and deacons. And I promise you it will not be as painful as installing a speaker of the house. (laughs) Here is a bit of education about what's going to happen. Ordination and installation of officers is the church's annual ritual informed by our Reformed theology and our Presbyterian polity. We ordain and install members of our congregation who have responded with a yes to being invited to offer their gifts for service. We believe Our theology teaches us that each of us has our own particular vocation for which we've been equipped. Whether that vocation takes place in the workplace or home or classroom or art studio or in this congregation or over the whole Roman Catholic Church, God has empowered each of us with different spiritual gifts to serve others and to share God's love in the world. The theologian Paul Tillich said, nothing is more surprising than the rise of the new within ourselves. To see our own gifts to be used in service to the body of Christ 
is its own epiphany. We trust the Holy Spirit endows and and equips each of us with gifts and skills to lead and serve the church. It's not just clergy who lead and serve the church. We ordain and install elders and deacons, and we commission them to discern the will of God for the church at this time in history. And then, then the rest of us must trust that these elders and deacons will utilize their gifts faithfully We should never forget that the Holy Spirit has been involved and will be involved in the entire enterprise. Now, the practice of laying on of hands, if you've never seen it, is a powerful witness to the history of the church. For 2,000 years, the church has been laying on hands on those elders and deacons that they've set apart for holy work. It's a sign of the anointing of the, of the Spirit. And this whole thing, I know, seems strange to modern eyes and ears. If it's something you've never witnessed before, it might feel a little uncomfortable I have to confess, in my last church, we had visitors on one Sunday, on ordination and installation Sunday, and they did not come back. (laughs) I should have done this education a little bit. These acts we're about to do, this act we're about to do, is not rational. This is a matter of the heart and with faith. And we have faith that there's an energy and a love that is bigger than us going on in the world. And we are tapping in and giving witness to that love. So the individuals who will come forth, we will ordain and install as they offer their gifts. Just like the Magi did 2,000 years ago, these new leaders will lay down their gifts releasing them into the hands of God for God's work in the world. I love the ending of Matthew's story. After the Magi laid down their gifts for God's beloved child, filled with joy, they returned home. But they went home by a different route. They saw God's gift to the world, and their hearts were transformed by that encounter. The transformation of our hearts through an encounter with Christ is possible for us every single day. May it be so. Amen.